You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Okay, first service went good. I'm kind of battling a cold and allergies and then found out yesterday that uh, with this north wind, it's been bringing all of that smoke from uh, Minnesota, Canada down. And so I felt like yesterday, like I was a 12-packer smoking yesterday. Um, So just got a lot of stuff going on in my throat. So I was able to make it through first service without uh, losing my voice or... uh, having a lot of coughing, so I hope to be able to do the same here. If not, just um, uh, just be patient with me. Uh, we'll get through this. We've been uh, continuing on our series um, on Hebrew chapter 11, and we've really kind of been throughout the series really focusing on the role of faith, you know, uh, in the lives of really ordinary men and women. And oftentimes, as you kind of saw in the video, uh, you know, pride, arrogance, just selfishness, uh, that inability to listen to others, or just thinking that you kind of know it all and don't really need the help of others, a lot of times that really can oftentimes become barriers to really being able to live out and, and to walk a life of great faith. So at this point in the series, we're kind of in that period or that timeline where we're kind of looking at uh, the period of the judges. And Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 20, or 32, kind of is in reference to that, that period, that timeline of the judges. And there the writer says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount or to retell uh, the stories of the faith of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. He said, by these, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lion. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. And, and we're going to focus on this line today. Their weakness was turned to great strength. We're going to talk about how God wants to take your weaknesses this morning, and, and God wants to turn those into great strengths. They became strong in battle, and they put whole armies to flight. Now, biblical scholars refer to the Old Testament book of Judges as kind of the dark ages of the Israelite nation. Now, in this book of Judges, you'll find that kind of the Israelites had this cyclical problem. They were just kind of repeating the same thing over and over and over. They would commit sin against God. They would do evil in God's sight. And then God would deliver them into the hands of their enemies as a form of discipline um, in order to kind of bring the nation of Israel back to himself. The book of Judges kind of covers that span of time kind of beginning at the death of Israel's great leader, Joshua. You remember Joshua is the one who took over the reins of leadership from Moses. Joshua is the one that led the Israelite nation into the promised land. And, and Joshua is the one that, that helped them to kind of confront that first enemy in Canaan, the city of Jericho, and they conquered that. So the book of Judges kind of begins with the death of Joshua, and it ends with the ascension of Saul becoming the first king over the nation of Israel. Today, last week, we kind of started talking about the story of Gideon. 
As mentioned there in Hebrews 11, and so today I kind of want to finish up on the, on the faith of Gideon. Because again, as you go through Hebrews 11, it's kind of by faith, this person did that. By faith, this person accomplished that. And again, the key being by faith. And it says, it's also the same of Gideon. By faith, Gideon does all that he's able to do. And again, for faith to be active, for faith to be moving forward, for faith to be living and pleasing to God, it has to be responding positively or in affirmation to something, either a promise, a word, or a command from God. That is so foundational to this series. If you don't get the whole understanding of the role of faith in the life of a believer, none of these stories are really going to make much sense to you. Because you're going to read these and think, that's impossible. There's no way anybody can do that. And that is the whole point. Faith is not passive. It must be active. It's alive. It's moving forward. It's purposeful. It's accomplishing something. It's not just lying dormant. It's not just going around and saying, I have faith for the sake of saying, I have faith. It, 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 it manifests itself in some tangible way. And so again, for faith to be active, to be alive, to be moving, to be purposeful, to be pleasing to God, it has to be responding positively and affirmingly to a command, a word, or a promise from God. So what is Gideon's faith? If it says by faith Gideon does this, what is Gideon's faith? What word, what promise, what command of God is Gideon responding to positively and in affirmation of? In Judges 6, as Gideon is, again, you find him, he's kind of beating out wheat in a wine press, which isn't where you would beat wheat. You would do it on a threshing floor. Remember we talked last week, the Midianites, they were a cruel army. And oftentimes they would see things like that and they would just come in and they would steal the food, the grain, the cattle, the sheep, whatever they were trying to use. They would come in and take their crops. And so Gideon is there in this wine press. He's threshing wheat. An angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And in the process of their conversation, the Lord gives to Gideon two promises in verse 16. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you. That is promise number one. And then he says, promise number two is, you're going to defeat this mighty, great army, the Midianites, as if they were one man. So there's the promise that God has given to Gideon. And now Gideon has the decision, how am I going to respond to the word, the promise that God has given to me? Gideon either responds in affirmation, in agreement, in alignment, in unity with what God has said, what God has promised him, and thereby doing so, he's now walking in faith. Or Gideon just chooses, I, I can't believe that. I don't believe that's for me. God, I, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't believe you can accomplish that. And, and that is a choice that he could have made. And thereby, in making that kind of a choice, he chooses to walk in unbelief. Those are the two choices before Gideon. It's the two choices before any of us when it comes to the whole role and issue of faith. How are you responding to the word, the command, the promise that God has given to you? You're either going to walk it out in faith or you're going to walk it out in unbelief. 
Gideon chooses to believe, to respond in affirmation, in agreement, in unity with what God has promised. And this is what Hebrews chapter 11 recognizes as biblical faith. Does that make sense? I've been hammering on this. I I want you to get this. So come to the place, the story where God instructs Gideon. says, I want you to prepare you're going to lead Israel into battle against the Midianites. Now, these, these enemies, the Midianites, uh, the Amalekites, they're a Bedouin tribe. And they were among the first to kind of use camels to strike with speed at great distances. It never, ever been seen in, in, in warfare before. It's kind of like, remember, I think, that shock that we had at 9-11. Never, ever in the history of warfare has somebody intentionally, purposely flown a, a plane into a building to kill as many innocent people as possible. I mean, we're shocked in warfare, sometimes in the Middle East, where, where they'll, they'll kind of use children as shields or women as shields. This is, this is unheard of. It's unthinkable. It's evil. It's cruel. This is kind of what the Midianite army was a little bit like. They would repeatedly, we see in the story, invade and they would terrorize Israel by killing and pillaging and they would confiscate their livestock, their crops, and they did everything that they could to to make the Israelites destitute. And so God raises up Gideon, the fourth of 15 judges in the book of Judges. He said, I'm now going to use you to deliver the people of Israel from the hands of their enemies. And Gideon, if you remember in the story, he isn't all that confident about being such a deliverer. And you see in the story, he's kind of repeatedly seeking confirmation from God that, that I've, have I heard you correctly, God? Including the famous story of putting out that fleece. He, he puts out a fleece to kind of discern, God, are you really calling me? Are you really using me to deliver the nation of Israel? And we talked about that last week. And through the fleece, God's given this, uh, Gideon's given this assurance, this confidence that God has really called him to lead the nation of Israel in their fight against the Midianites. So in Judges chapter 7, Gideon has assembled a force of 32,000 men for battle. But Gideon is about to discover that God has really kind of some unconventional ideas about military strategy. So beginning in verse 1, so Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, it says there. Let me just take a quick moment for you to tell you how he got that nickname. How many of you have nicknames for your kids? I do. I have nicknames for all of my kids. Yeah. This is a nickname. I think God has nicknames for all of us. I think there are just our very, very admirable traits. There are qualities about you that just make you so irresistible to God. Do you know that? And based on those, a lot of times God will just kind of have a nickname for you. I believe that. Um, So here's a nickname that Gideon has. And let me just tell you how he came to get that nickname. In Judges 6, beginning in verse 28, we kind of talked last week about the fleece. You know, if you're going to use a fleece, number one, you need to have a track record of obedience to God. You have to be willing, uh, if you're going to use a fleece, you're not just using it willy-nilly. I mean, you're really serious about discerning the will, the direction of God. So Gideon pursues a fleece. And so in the course of time in Judges 6, God says, okay, I, I want you to obey me uh, in, in another area. 
And he says, in your village, there are altars to Baal. There is a pole to Asherah. And he says, I want you to go in. I want you to destroy all of the altars of Baal in your village. I want you to tear down the pole of Asherah. I want you to build me an altar. And I want you to make a sacrifice upon that altar. Now, but because Gideon is really too afraid of his family and the other men in the village, he opts to do this at night while they're all asleep. So as the men of the village awoke the next morning and finding the altar of Baal in their village had been completely destroyed, the pole of Asherah had been brought down, and in its place there was another altar, and not just that, there was a sacrifice given to another god there, and they were just enraged. So they find out that Gideon was kind of the perpetrator of that, and the men of the village kind of call for Gideon's head, man, they... They want revenge, and they want his death for doing such a thing. Gideon's father, Joash, uh, he defends Gideon, uh, and he basically kind of puts this challenge to the men of the village, and he says, hey, it was, all, it was Baal's altar that was destroyed, right? He said, if Baal is such a powerful God, why not let him take his own revenge against what was done to his altar? Why should that fall to us? Let Baal take his own revenge. And as a result of that, nothing was done to Gideon. And then he earned that nickname, Jerubbabel, which meant let Baal contend against him or let Baal take his own revenge. So in verse 1 there, so Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, And his army got up early, and they went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley, near the hill of Marah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If you let all fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they have saved themselves by their own strength and might. Therefore, tell the people... Whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of the 32,000 went home, leaving only 100,000 or 10,000 who were willing to fight. So God informs Gideon, you got too many people in your army. So that kind of comes as a kind of a big surprise, a shock to Gideon. Because he's thinking, man, the more the merrier. The more I can get in here, the better our chances are of winning. I need as many people as possible to fight against this powerful, strong, evil Midianite army. And after all, it is the Midianites. They're kind of the practiced fighters. They're the seasoned warriors there. Gideon's men, the Israelites, they're untrained. They're untested It's again the Midianites, they have this cavalry of camels. They charge into fury. They charge with fury into battle. It's Gideon's men who were kind of timid, fearful. They're on foot. And Gideon has tried on short notice. He's, you know, God says you're going to go in and you're going to conquer the Midianites. And so, you know, Gideon's doing everything he can to try to amass as many men as possible. And now God's telling him, it's too many. You've got to reduce your army. So again, by faith, because God's given him a command here, right? So by faith, Gideon obeys. Doesn't mean that he doesn't wonder or question or kind of ask, what is going on? God, what are you doing? I mean, I'm, I'm going to obey, but I'm not getting this. But still, at 10,000, 
God is still not satisfied. He wants more to leave. So verse 4 continues. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Miss Grady had gone from 32,000 down to 10,000, but it's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them or prove them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouth in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Now, I'm sure Gideon's kind of thinking at this point, okay, God is going to reduce this by eliminating these 300 men. And we're going to go into battle with 9,700 men, right? I'm sure that's what Gideon is thinking. But God does the exact opposite of what we would expect if we were in that position. And basically it says, the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. So again, go back to what was the second of the two promises God gave to Gideon. He said, I will deliver Gideon, or I will deliver the Midianites into your hands as if you were just fighting against one man. And Gideon's kind of coming to the realization, God literally meant that. I mean, this is, wow, we've gone from 32,000 to 300 men. So he says, send all the others home of the 9,700. So Gideon collected the provision, the ram's horn of the other warriors, and he sends 9,700 men home. But he kept the 300 with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. So again, I'm sure Gideon, as you and I, we're kind of wondering, what is God up to here? I mean, who would, who would do this? Well, the answer is really kind of found there in verse 2. It says, the Lord says to Gideon, you have way too many fighters, way too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight, the 32,000, against the Midianites, he said, I know you, I know your heart, I know your motive. You're going to take all of the credit for it. You're going to think it was your strength, your power, your ability, your warfare that delivered you from the enemy and not me. So I'm going to make it abundantly clear it was me and it was me alone. Here God is kind of again teaching that principle, that spiritual truth. Found in Zechariah 4, 6, it is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. It is not by your strength. It is not by your power. It is not by your ability that God gets anything done. It is by his spirit in you and through you. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. And so Gideon now with a force of only 300 men prepares to attack the Midianites. Continuing in verse 19, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hand, and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, sheer pandemonium, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horn, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And that's mass confusion, is it not? Those who were not killed fled to places as far as away 
as Beth Shaddai near Sarah and to the borders of Abel, Melahoth, Nord, Tabith. Then Gideon sent for the warriors of Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, who joined in chasing the army of Midian. It's a great story. It's a powerful story. It's a powerful story not only of what God is able to do, but it's just a powerful story of one man's ability, his desire to just walk in faith, to walk in a way that is just totally yielded, surrendered to God, in a way that is just so pleasing and beautiful to God when we just simply respond in affirmation to a word, a promise, a command. In many ways, it's also a great story about our illusions of strength and weakness. Again, as you kind of work your way through the story, you kind of begin to see in the story who is strong and who is weak and how God kind of switches, turns the tables there in the story. It appears in the story as you're kind of reading and you're kind of becoming familiar with who Israel is, who the Midianites are. You're kind of thinking the Midianites, they're strong, they're powerful, they are warriors. The Israelites, they are, they're weak, they're untrained, they're unprepared. I mean, the Midianites, they had veterans, they had camels, they had a far larger, more organized, well-equipped army. Gideon knows this, and therefore he tries to amass as many men as possible to get the biggest army he possibly can get to go to battle. He needed as powerful an army as he could get, but God is teaching Gideon a dramatic lesson. It is a lesson we need to learn as well, and that is this. People aren't always as strong as they appear to be or as powerful as they think they have become. People aren't always as strong as you think they are, as they appear to be, And people are not as powerful as they think they have become. We kind of seem to be living and we kind of seem to be evolving into this culture that that is a more and more powerful, hungry, power-crazed world where, where people oftentimes will meet. I don't know that they call them this anymore, but they used to call them power lunches. I remember seeing an advertisement for an $80 DVD course that was promising to teach people how to become a more powerful people. And the advertisement on the back of it said, you need to learn the 10 C's of success, how to create a force field that attracts everything you need to realize your dominant goals, the source of energy and enthusiasm, how to put the law of accumulation to work in your life, and the one critical quality that will determine your success. Become more successful, positive, and optimistic, an unstoppable human being. Isn't that what the world needs more of? Unstoppable human beings. You have to stop and ask yourself, are really such people, are they really human? I don't think so. I think oftentimes we would do better to just kind of stop and ask ourselves and kind of recognize that the more power we acquire, this is true, The more power we acquire, the more weakness we may be acquiring as well. The more power you take on, the more weaknesses you're also taking on as well. 
Some people have acquired what they may kind of call financial power. They have lots of money. They have more money than what they know what to do with. They have great, strong, powerful financial strength. But do you realize that with that strength, there comes kind of a great weakness with that? And that money has the power and the potential to make you very weak. Because, see, in financial power, you oftentimes kind of fall prey to materialism, to kind of an insatiable appetite for more and more and more. In weakness, you kind of allow money to kind of begin to dictate more and more of your life, your decisions. And and oftentimes, with with great financial strength, there kind of also comes this weakness that you kind of begin to worry and you care more about how to take care of those things, how to protect those things, how to make sure that those things are never lost instead of enjoying the blessings, the inheritance that you already have. And in your weakness, oftentimes, people who have great financial power often find themselves being possessed by their own possessions. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and he said this, no one can serve two masters. So you're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Some people kind of think they have what we would call intellectual power. They're well-educated. They're well-trained. They're, they're well-schooled. I mean, they, they have so many degrees behind their names, they've got more letters than the alphabet. And again, with that great intellectual power, you're also going to begin to acquire some great weaknesses with that. Because a lot of times people with great intellectual power, they kind of allow their education, their smarts to kind of destroy relationships with friends, coworkers, and family. Have you ever been around somebody that, that kind of has that intellectual power and they're arrogant, they're prideful, they think they know it all, you can't tell them anything, you start a sentence and they think they have to finish it because they know what you're thinking People grow weary of someone who thinks they know it all or who has an answer for every problem, every issue. And so in your weakness, you've become so powerfully smart that you know everything about everything. And your weakness oftentimes is that you're very clueless about yourselves. You're very clueless about the people living close to you. In your weakness, you insist there's nothing wrong with you in spite of the fact that you're becoming less and less of a fulfilled and purposeful human being. Proverbs 14, 12 kind of echoes this when Solomon said there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it is the way or it is the result of death. Again, power has the potential to bring great weakness. The more powerful we become, you just need to be aware of this, the more vulnerable, the greater our weaknesses 
can become. Some observers of successful business executives have kind of noted that there is a tendency among those rising corporate stars that when they get a big promotion or they get a big pay raise, that oftentimes they feel very strong attraction to women other than their wives. And it just kind of seems that out of that very experience of success, it kind of creates this drive, this need in men to seek out other women, usually trading in older wives for younger versions. The multi-wived J. Paul Getty, he once said this, a lasting relationship with a woman is only possible if you are a business failure. Isn't that inspirational? Mr. Getty, thereby expressing out of this great financial power that he had, he's also revealing to us the great weaknesses that came with it. And I think the reason that Gideon is asked by God to reduce his army was very simple. God wanted Gideon to learn that principle as well, that people are not as powerful as they think they are. They're not as strong as they think they have become. Because it only took 300 men with trumpets, pots, and torches to defeat the mighty Midianites. And Gideon, the nation of Israel, came to see they're not as strong as they think they were. There's another side to this truth. Just as people are not as strong as they appear to be, so too we're not as weak as we might think we are. So Gideon and his men, they look at them and they said, they're not as powerful as they thought they were. And we're not as weak as we thought we were. God wanted Gideon to understand and to learn that if you'll just remain in the will of God, if you'll just respond to his voice, his word, his command, in affirmation that you'll have far more power, strength, and ability than you ever imagine. The Apostle Paul made kind of a similar discovery. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he said, Therefore, I am content with weaknesses. Stop and think about that. Are you content with your weaknesses? I don't know about you. I, I want to hide my weaknesses. I want to bury my weaknesses. I don't want people to look at me and to think of me as weak. But Paul says, you know what? I'm content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. Man, I don't know about you, but man, when that's me, when it's weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamity, I tend to want to run away from that stuff as fast as I can. And I'm guessing many of you would be running just as hard right behind me. But Paul says, you know what? He says, I'm, I'm content. I'm okay. I'm willing to embrace my weaknesses. Because he said, for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. That is the paradox that God was teaching to Gideon. When we are weak, when we are content with our weaknesses, when we will acknowledge our weaknesses, when we will receive our weaknesses, 
And then we just kind of begin to lean into and leverage the power, the strength, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in us. So it's just not, it's no longer me. It is God in me. In that weakness, I just kind of begin to lean into and leverage the strength of God. And in that moment, as I am embracing, I am content with my weakness, as I'm leaning into God, therefore I become strong. It is when we know, we own, and we acknowledge our weaknesses. Rather than running and denying and lying and burying, trying to forget our weaknesses, we discover that in those weaknesses, if we'll just lean into God, if we'll just listen to his word, his command, his promise, in any situation that we're, fa- we're facing, wherever that weakness is kind of manifesting, if we'll just lean into God, if we'll leverage his strength and his power, then we become strong. Vance Harbor once wrote, God uses broken things. God loves broken things. Broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. See, it's oftentimes in our brokenness, it's in our weakness. It's at that point of great need that we really can discover the potential of how strong we can be in God. Jim Kelly, a lot of you football fans will recognize, he was a strong and a powerful and successful quarterback for the Buffalo Bills for 11 seasons. When Jim and his wife Jill had their first child, a boy they named Hunter James Kelly, they found themselves kind of just pushed into this place of great weakness and brokenness before God. He was diagnosed, their son was, with uh, Crabbe's disease. It's a very rare and a genetic disorder. Uh, this little boy couldn't swallow, had a very difficult time opening his eyes, and he was really kind of uh, pretty dependent on daily medif- medications to kind of ease uh, his suffering. And, and Jim Kelly kind of openly acknowledged, you know, just his difficulty and his, his struggle uh, in coping uh, with his son's illness. And therefore, it kind of really fell to his wife, Jill, uh, who gave most of the care. And Jill would spend hour after hour with Hunter kind of on her lap, and she would kind of massage his uh, uh, arms and legs, and, and she would take him for, you know, soothing uh, dips in the hot tub. And, and so Jim Kelly kind of speaking of his wife's great strength and, and, you know, comparing that to his great weakness, he said this, toughness on a football field is nothing. He said, my wife has taken it another step. Her toughness is within. The size of her heart and her willingness to give everything she has to our son is something I look at and I bow to. And that's part of what we admire in in moms and, and in women. The size of your hearts, the power of your ability to soothe and to comfort, to console As you look at these two people, who is strong, who is weak, it's not who we would think it would be. Again, powerful people are not always as strong as they appear. And we're not as weak as we think we are. Poland has a famous concert pianist by the name of Ignacy Paderewski. 
And he also kind of served as the, primer, the former prime minister of Poland. And he was well known as just this consummate pianist. He was a great entertainer. And there's a story about a mother who wanted to really kind of encourage her son's progress in a piano. And so she bought tickets to an upcoming concert, and she took her son. And the night arrived, and they are seated there in the auditorium. And there is just kind of this uh, beautiful Steinway piano up there on the stage. And soon the mother kind of found herself engaged into a conversation with a woman that was seated next to her. And the boy kind of just slipped out unnoticed by uh, his mother. And when the 8 o'clock hour arrived, the spotlights came on, the curtain came up, and the show is about to begin, and the audience is kind of just aghast as they look up and see this little boy who is sitting up there on this huge Steinway piano, and with one finger, he's just kind of playing twinkle, twinkle, little star. The mom is just kind of freaking out. She's trying to figure out how to get up there and to get her kid uh, off that stage. And soon, uh, Paderowski uh, kind of walks out. He appears on the stage, and he just very, very quickly moves over uh, toward the piano. And he says to the boy, keep playing. Don't stop playing. And so leaning over, he kind of just reached down, and, and with his left hand, he kind of just began filling in a bass part there to twinkle, twinkle, little star. With his other hand, he kind of reaches around the boy, and he adds a melody up there on the upper keys. And to, for the two of them sitting there, the older man, the younger boy, they kind of told and they just held the audience just in, in, in absolute awe as these two young, uh, this young boy and this older man performed there together. The same is really true of you and I in our times of weakness, of brokenness. In those places where we find ourselves in great need, again, oftentimes, our, our, our human heart deceives us into wanting to think we're strong, we can do this on our own, we can figure a way out. Oftentimes, again, it's just if we'll own it, if we'll acknowledge it, and just lean into God. God, I need you in this area. God, I can't do what I'm needing to do, what you're calling me to do without you. Again, if we'll just acknowledge God in that way, if we'll just place ourselves within the will of God, if we'll just begin to walk out the word, the command, the promises of God in faith, God will come alongside us. He'll whisper into our ear, don't stop, keep playing. And as we do, God augments, he supplements until a work of beauty is created. This is never something. Life is not something that you were created to do on your own. God's plans, his purposes, his destinies for your lives. God never ever designed any of that for you to do that all on your own. And we discover that when like Gideon, that maybe our strengths are being reduced. Maybe the things we look at as strong in our lives, maybe God wants to decrease that in us so that he can increase himself in us. So maybe we need to kind of just recognize and acknowledge and ask God, God, are there strengths in my life that maybe just need to be reduced, that need to be cut back because it makes me so independent of you? So take a look at the power that maybe you've acquired or you've developed in your life. 
Are you really as strong as you think you are? Are you really as powerful? Are you really as dependent without God as you think you are? And maybe it's time like Gideon, you kind of just allow God. And you just give God permission. God, you just need to come in and you just need to reduce this. So that you can kind of increase your power and your presence in my life. Take a look at your weaknesses. Again, you're not as weak as you think you are. You're only stronger. And you're only able to do more. As you say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.10, when I am weak, when I acknowledge my weaknesses, when I own my weaknesses, when I recognize my weaknesses, and I just begin to lean in and to leverage God, he says, then and only then I am strong. This is the approach Gideon took, that in that place of weakness and humility, he finds the strength to walk in obedience to all that God promises, may we find a similar approach as well. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. I just want to encourage you this morning that maybe this afternoon or tonight, maybe as you're kind of laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep, maybe just to kind of take an inventory of your life. And, and allow God to answer this question for you this morning. What is, what is the power, what is the strengths in your life? What are those things that maybe you kind of think, I can do this on my own. I don't need God. I don't need his participation. I don't need his strength. I don't need his power in this area. I've got it covered. I've got it handled. And then what are, what are the great weaknesses that have come with that? Oftentimes when people are battling addictions, there's this sense, I can do it myself. I don't need anybody's help. And what happens oftentimes is there's just this repeated pattern of addiction after addiction after addiction after addiction because I'm strong enough. I can do this myself. It's often the people, when they finally come to that breaking point, when they realize, I cannot do this. I have no power. I have no strength. I have no ability to overcome in this area at all. I am so weak. I am so vulnerable in the area of my addictions. And it's when those people come to that place of being content, owning and recognizing their weakness, they begin to lean into the strength, the wisdom of God, and then they begin to find the permanent way out of that. Because it's when you are, are weak, you'll become strong. So I know there's people in here, maybe some of you struggle with pornography. Maybe there's kind of just this, this, this strength in you, this appetite. There, there may kind of be this power in you that it's just never enough, it's never satisfying. There's always a drive, a need for more and more to make it bigger and to make it more graphic. Own it, acknowledge it before God. God, I have got a power, there is a lust, there is a drive in me that overwhelms me, it overpowers me, I have no control of that. Own it, be content with it, God sees it. And in that place of weakness, you just simply say, man, 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have the strength on my own. I've tried quitting this hundreds and hundreds of times. I was working with a guy about a year ago who was, had been in pornography for 40 years. And he finally came to that place where he just realized it was utterly beyond his ability or power to stop or to control. And he simply said, when I just turned to God in my weakness and said, you see who I am, you see what I've become. There's a power in me that overwhelms me and drives me back to this time and time again. And he said, you're the only power, you're the only strength that can help me overcome this. To this day, that man has remained free of pornography. It was when he owned, it's when he came to terms and he acknowledged the weakness. Some of you, maybe you're in a, in a marital weakness. Maybe things are not good in your marriage. And it's just when you kind of come and you acknowledge what God already knows, when you own what God already sees, and you're saying, God, we're struggling in this marriage. And it's just as you acknowledge that and just begin to lean in, God, give us wisdom. Tell us how to live as husband and wife. Show me how to serve my husband. Show me how to serve my wife. How to love as Christ loved the church. As we begin to lean into that strength away from our own weakness, it's then that we become strong. It's then that God begins to build and to strengthen us. Some of you are in here fighting addictions to drugs, alcohol. It's the same principle. Own it. Acknowledge it. And as you do, you just begin to lean in and say, God, I can't do this without you this morning. So I'm just going to ask, whatever that may be. Some of you, it may be, again, there's just that intellectual power. I'm so smart. For some of you, it may be the financial power. I'm so rich. But I, I, I've come to the realization that in that power, that strength, my possessions own me. Whatever that is, I don't know. But I know all of you in here have great strengths, great powers that the Lord wants to use. And maybe what he wants to do is just to reduce some of that, to kind of rechannel some of that, maybe to kind of tamper that in some ways so that you're, you're able to walk in that strength, but you're doing it through his power and his strength, his ability and not your own. And you're not as weak as you think you are. Sometimes, rather than hiding those weaknesses, and I have so many weaknesses, and rather than just hiding or denying them, own them. See them as what they are. And just say, God, help me in, the, in those weaknesses to lean into you, to leverage your strength. And in that, I will then become strong. That's what I want to pray for you this morning, is that God would show you your great strengths, and God would show you your great weaknesses. And that God would do for you what he did for Gideon. Father, we just thank you so much for this lesson again of strengths and weaknesses. God, how oftentimes we kind of see people stronger than what they really are, what they think they have become. And oftentimes God will look at ourselves as far weaker than we really are. And God, how oftentimes you kind of just turn the tables. We think, oh, it's the powerful, it's the wealthy, it's the wise, it's the strong that God uses, when in reality, it is the weak, it is the foolish that God chooses to use. Because in that weakness, in our foolishness, as we just obey, as we just surrender and yield ourselves to God's word, his command, his promises, that God, those weaknesses 
become strengths. So Father, I just pray for all of my brothers and sisters here this morning that God, you would help them to see, to identify, to own their strengths and their weaknesses. And that God, you would be able to take both of them and God, you would be able to use them and to channel them. That God, you would be able to harness them in ways, God, that we could live great lives of faith for you. And Father, again, I just, I just pray for those that are really struggling with great weakness in here, whatever form that may take. That God, I pray, Lord, that rather than hide or deny or to try to justify those weaknesses, that God, they would see them, that they would own them, they would recognize them. And that God, in that weakness, they would turn to you and say, God, only through you, only by you, God, can I overcome, can I take this weakness and turn it into great strength. And that God, they would yield and they would leverage themselves to your word, to your promises, to your power and your presence. Christ in them, the hope of glory. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.